princes and paupers, sons and daughters, kneel at the throne of grace. Losers and winners, saints and sinners, one day will see His face, and we'll So just by a matter of housekeeping, we have been working our way through the book of Deuteronomy, and we have a video about learning from the book of Deuteronomy, but we will play it later after the sermon in between as they're working on the technology aspect of it back there. And so um, that will be coming in between. And so at the end of service today, we have a brief break, and then we'll have the membership meeting. And so we'll play that video for you at the end of service. In preparation for this sermon, I discovered something about myself, and I was trying to figure it out exactly what it was, and so I went to a young lady who is a Christian girl, and she is a child. She is not an adult, and that means she does not have a ton of Bible knowledge, and I asked her just some, like a few simple questions, and I'm going to relate that conversation to you now, and then you're going to, I think, see why when we look at the text, okay? So it goes something like this. I asked her, I said, so what would happen, what would you do if you had a friend come over to your house that had a favorite toy, like a plushie, stuffed animal, something, and she's a young girl. And I asked her, and I said, what would happen if you had a friend come over to your house, and she left that favorite toy there, and then left and went home? And I said, and then you discovered after she left that the favorite toy was there. What would you do? And she said, well, right away I would go to my mom, and I would say, Mom, we need to call this person, tell them that they left their toy, and try to get it back to her, to her right? And we assumed that the friend was a girl. And, and I said, okay, that's good. I said, and what if the friend lived far away so you couldn't easily get it back to them? So well, we still call. She said, maybe we could mail it to them. And I said, and if you couldn't mail it to them, I said, well, then we could hold it for her, right? And, and then maybe get it back to her at a later date. And I said, then what if you kept it for a long time and then you kind of liked it. It was a toy that you also liked. You played with it some, whatever. You had it for a long time. And then your friend came back and asked you for it. What would you do? She said, well, I would gladly give it back to her because it belongs to her and it was hers in the first place. And I said, okay, now let's, let's change that. What if it was an animal? 
and you're taking care of this animal and you've taken it to the vet and you've got shots and you've got medicine costs and you've got food costs and all that kind of thing. You've done all of that and now your friend wants their animal back after you've done all that. And she said, well, I would give it back to them. She said, not only would I give it back to them, but on top of that, I would say, I would, I would let them know what I had done and said, I did that because I love them and I take care of them. And she said, I would give them all the extra food. And if I, we had made a dog house, because I think we used the dog as the example, then we would give them the dog house. We'd give them everything that we had for taking care of the animal to help them going forward because, just because we love them. And I said, but then that, that would have cost you an awful lot, or me, because I'm, I, you know, or, or your dad or your mom or whoever, it would cost them an awful lot. And she said, yeah, she said, but God will take care of us. How you treat things that belong to other people, this is what she said, how you treat things that belong to other people shows how much you trust God to reward you for what you've done after the fact. So bear that in mind then with me as we go to the text. You might say amen or a little hoot or a holler, me. We're going to holler with me today as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Amen. amen. This is God's word. That's not about us. That's about him. The moment we begin to read his word, it is what he says. You may like it. You may not like it. I have had many occasions where it's gone either way for me. But what it says is what it says. This is Deuteronomy chapter 22 beginning in verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. And then we just have a couple of supporting texts that we'll look at before we're through. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 says, You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. So before we go any further, there's a couple of things. So you'll notice there in my translation, the New American Standard Version, I have the word countrymen. Your may, yours may have a different word there because that, the, the word that's there is a little tricky to translate into English. Um, it can simply mean the person that you live near, so a neighbor or a person who lives in your neighborhood um, or a person who lives in your country. Uh, King James, I think, or New King James maybe translates it brother, and so that could confuse the issue a little bit. But the bottom line is this is somebody, in theory, um, it's not you, but they live where you know where they live, and you find their ox or their sheep straying away, wandering off. Um, and it says you can't just pay no attention to them. And there's a really interesting word there where it says pay no attention that occurs a few times, and we'll come back to that when we get to the points. You can't just pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. So basically, you're walking down the road one day or whatever you're doing, and there's a sheep, and you recognize that's your neighbor's sheep or sheep from the guy down the road or however you know where it goes anyway. And you take the sheep, and at your own expense, your own effort, your own work, you lead the sheep or probably prod the sheep, because you're not the shepherd now, right? This is somebody else's sheep. You kind of push them along, get them along, whatever, grab them by the scruff of their wool, whatever you got to do, to get them back where they go. You take them back home, okay? You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep. An ox would probably even be harder to work with. Straying away and pay no attention to them, you shall certainly bring them back to your countryman. Verse 2 says, And if your countryman is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it, home to your house, and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it, then you shall restore it to him. So now we have a new case wherein we find the ox or the sheep, but we don't know to whom it actually belongs, but we know it doesn't belong to us, right? So we're going to take it back to our house, and we're going to take care of it, and that's, that's a lot, right? That's feeding, that's clean. If you don't shear a sheep, for example, uh, it can become very unhealthy. So it's shearing, and you may profit from the wool, 
For, for example, if it's an ox, you don't you gotta feed it, care for it, check on its hooves, all those kinds of things. And if you don't do all that kind of stuff, it can become unhealthy and die. So you're gonna have to do those things while it's living with you. And then at some point in time, he's gonna come looking for it, and he comes and says, Hey, did you find my ox? Did you find my sheep? Did anyone? You go house to house, whatever looking, and you shall restore it to him. And I and I first read that, and this is what happened in me. I said, Yeah, that's justice, right? It's the right thing to do because it belongs to him. God willed it, if you will, to him. And so how dare I keep it? It didn't belong to me in the first place. I would be kind of like profiting on his loss, right? God gave it to him and it wandered off. That's just what animals do. Maybe he should have had it better penned in or who knows why, but somehow or other it got loose and it wandered off and I found it. And if I take it, that wasn't mine. Now, in the world a lot, it's, uh, how's it go? Uh, Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Right? So you're, you're walking, you find something that doesn't belong to you, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yay me, I found something that didn't belong to me. So I'm blessed now. We might even praise God for something just showing up because we didn't own it, it wasn't ours, and now all of a sudden we do because we found it, right? So now we own it. And that's kind of the way the world looks at it. But what he's saying is, and we'll see it very clearly by the time we're done with these four verses, he's saying that is not how it actually works. What he said was, if your countryman is not near you, so now you don't have an easy way to just walk the sheep down the road or the oxen down the road, If you do not know him, you don't know where to even take it to, then you shall bring it home to your house and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it, then you shall restore it to him. So when he comes a-looking, you are giving him back what belonged to him previously. Verse 3, and thus you shall do with his donkey and you shall do the same with his garment and you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countryman, which he has lost and you have found. You are not allowed to neglect them. And that word there, which is translated neglect, is a very, very similar word to the first time we encountered it where it said to pay no attention. And again, I'll talk about that in a minute. So the bottom line is now we're extending this not just to ox or sheep, which you could, that's pretty important, right? An oxen is what you plow with. A sheep, can, not only can it be year after year after year, it's sustenance, but on top of that, you can eat it, right? So this is an expensive thing. But now we're not just talking about expensive things. Anymore. Now we're talking about a, a lost cloak or a jacket or shoes. We're talking about anything that you might find that pretty much you're sure doesn't belong to you. Now, very simply on the surface, the bottom line is, if it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. But is that what he's saying? He said, if it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. I teach my grandkids all the time, and, and I've taught Ariana, if it doesn't belong to you, don't touch it. We go to garage sales, and I tell them, if you're not thinking about buying it, don't touch it. If you don't have the money to pay for it, don't touch it because it doesn't belong to you. But does that actually work based on what we're reading here? Because now we've been commanded not to neglect it. Now, at a garage sale, that's one thing. You just leave it. They're going to keep it. Everything's fine. But you find something laying in the road. Now you have a responsibility. You can't just leave it. Because if you just leave it, it's going to degrade. It'll go to worthlessness. And it's never going to find its way back to whoever it was unless they come along looking for it. Sometimes you're driving along the road and you'll see a hubcap sitting up against the pole. And people put it there because it came off a car and they're hoping the person drives that route and they're going to see it again. If they take it home, they're never going to get it back to the person to whom it belongs, right? But at the same time, if they just leave it laying in the grass, it's never going to get back to the person it belongs to either. So they've done something in an effort to try to get it back to the person who it belongs. And so many folks don't do anything to try to get something that was lost back to the person to whom it belongs. If you don't own it, it belongs to somebody else, according to this text, it's supposed to go back to the person who owned it. And if you have to take it home for a while and take care of it, even use it, right? Because a donkey unused or an ox unused or a sheep unused would be in trouble. So even use it for a while. But when they come looking for it, it's supposed to go back to them, whatever it is. 
And you're not allowed to neglect them. So you can't just put the animal away and don't do anything with it. You have to take care of it. And you're going to have to feed it. You're going to have to bathe it if it needs bathed. You're going to have to check its hooves and, and maybe get it a shot from the vet if it's getting sick. You know, whatever. All those kinds of things. Now verse 4, it says, You shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down on the way and pay no attention to them. That's that same phrase again. Pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. And so now we've brought the countryman or that individual that you know who owns the other thing into the mix. They're there. So they're walking their ox down the road and all of a sudden their ox steps off the edge. The edge caves in a little bit. And now they're in, it's in the ditch and they're trying to get the ox up out of the ditch and it's a lot of work to do that. The ox doesn't want to do it under its own power. So somebody's going to pull it and somebody's going to push it. But if you're just one man, you can't pull it and push it at the same time. And so it says you can't just leave him in the ditch. You can't just leave him in the ditch. Rather, you have to help him get his ox or his donkey or whatever up out of the ditch. Now, this probably doesn't apply with a sh- you know, shoes or a coat or whatever. This is talking about an animal. But the bottom line is, this is where the individual in question is there. And you can't just look away. They're in a hardship with their animal. And you can't just look away. You can't pay no attention to them. Rather, he says, you will certainly help him to raise them up. All right, so that's the text for today. The first thing I want you to see here is you don't look the other way. I was in a college class at Owens, and it was a business management class, actually. It was talking about how people treat people. Now, in a business management class talking about how people treat people, you don't usually get things like the golden rule or biblical principles, right? It was really about hospitality, customer service, talking to people, treating people with respect, right? And the teacher said, can we all agree that when people treat people with respect, they generally look them in the eye? Can we agree with that? And I said, well, yeah, that's, it's kind of old school, but yeah, we basically, there's about 23 of us in the class, and we all agreed that they do. And I said, and then he had two students, I was, I was neither of them, but he had two students get up on opposite sides of the classroom, and he says, and when I say go, I want you to walk forward, and I want you to walk past each other and take each other's spots. You're going to walk to the other side of the classroom and stand in the spot where the other person was standing. And they did. And he said, everybody, want everybody to watch closely what happens. And this is what they did. As they started to walk forward, at substantial distance away, they looked at each other to gauge which way the, what the other person was going to go. So if they're going to go to the right, I'm going to go to the right, and we're going to pass each other safely or whatever. But if they're going to go to the right, I'm not going to go to the left, because then we're going to bump into each other, because they, they knew they were going to switch spots. So they looked at each other while they were still a substantial distance away. And then once they got close, say, eight feet, ten feet away, they looked away from each other the whole time they passed each other, and then they went and stood in each other's spots. And the professor said, if if a measure of respect of a human being is you look them in the eye, then why is it that this is how everyone behaves? Everyone. You watch them. They're walking toward each other. If they do not want to specifically interact with each other, they will not look at each other. They will look at each other from a ways away, and then they will look away the whole time they're passing. And that's how you know, hey, I'm not accosting you, I'm not interacting with you. And he said, there, there are basically two reasons. So the first reason is because if you look at them in the face, they'll think you want to interact with them. And so they may change their course to actually encounter you, and you may wind up having a face-to-face encounter with somebody. And I've seen that play out on a number of times. I walk from some distance towards somebody, and I look at them, and I greet them and say hello, or whatever, and they'll stop and say hello to me, and we'll have a conversation. I had no intention of having a conversation, but just because I treated them with some respect, they'll stop and have a conversation with me. 
And it's like, they all, they're basically asking me, what did you want? And he's right. So if you show that respect to a person, they're more likely to want to engage with you, thinking, why are you showing me this measure of respect? Okay? The second reason is because it's easier. And the human spirit, like water, flows down the easier path. Right? It's easier to not have to deal with somebody. In fact, if you look at them at 15 feet away, then when you get to 7 feet away and you're intentionally not, you don't even have to say hello. You don't have to say hi. I go down the elementary school uh, hallway at my daughter's school, and I say hi to everybody I see. And it's always been that way. I say, hi, how you doing today? Hey. I, what's funny is I'll, we're past people, and I'll say, hey, how you doing today? And they, they'll say, how you doing today? And neither one of us answers, and we just keep walking. It's like a greeting, you know? So we don't really mean, how are you doing today, apparently? If he'd answered me, then I would have answered him. But it's clear that he's just using that like, hello, right? The point is, I walked, and a lot of times, they look a little freaked out. Like, why are you talking to me? I'm just saying hello, right? When I lived in Mason, when I first moved to Mason, Michigan, I discovered that something is a town of about 5,000 people, which is the same as what Northwood is. But in Mason, everybody waved to everybody else. It was a very community community, right? So you'd be in your yard mowing, and somebody would drive by in the car, and they wave to you while you're pushing the mower. You push the mower down, and you look up, and there they are waving to you, and, like, and you're waving back while you're... Like, whatever happened to that, right? In Northwood, nobody waves to anybody, right? I talk to my neighbor every chance I get. I talk to my neighbor every chance I get. But if I'm driving down the road, then nobody waves at me. I wave at them, and they go, like, what is that? What? What's he doing with his hand? Like, they don't know what that means, right? So the point is, it's so easy to just ignore all of our responsibilities to the rest of the race because, why? Because we've chosen our responsibilities for ourselves. So there's a phrase that occurs in here that essentially means don't look the other way or don't, uh, and it has another meaning which I'll show you with you in a second. It's kind of cool. And the phrase is hitalem or hitalem ta, and I'm probably pronouncing that badly because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the bottom line is it means to not neglect, that's how it's being translated here, to not, not pay attention, but what it really means is to hide yourself. And now you see, don't you? As we go about our days all day long, this is what we're doing. We're hiding ourselves. We're in fear of what others will think of us. We're in fear that we may not be adequate to do what needs to be done. We have our little pet peeves, and oh, it bothers me when they do this, and it bothers me when they do that. And if we interact with other people, eventually they're going to hit those pet peeves. And we're going to be bothered. Nobody wants to be bothered. And by the way, when we're bothered, oftentimes we do not react the way that even we think we should. And so what we're doing is we're busy hiding ourselves. And what this text says, you have no right to hide yourselves from other people who live in the country in which you live. You have a responsibility, rather, to help, to intervene. And I would submit, not to get ahead of myself, to take a certain amount of risk. You have a responsibility. Realize that these are people, when we're talking about the Israelites, we're talking about people who are covered under God's grace. Why was an Israelite an Israelite? You say, well, it was because of his blood, right? Well, if we've been studying the book of Deuteronomy, right, and we know that they did take wives who were not blood. We know that is true. And so that's not, that doesn't hold true. The Israelites were the Israelites because one reason only. Because God said so. Out of Egypt I have called my son. He chose the Israelites when they were not a people at all and made them a people, much like he has done with those of us who are Gentiles, which is probably everybody in this room. 
And just as they had a responsibility to treat everyone with respect and to not neglect, to not hide themselves from others who were under God's grace, we have the same responsibility. This is even more empowering because we have folks that don't know Jesus and they have the right to be people who do know Jesus. And the only thing stopping them from being people who do know Jesus in some case is people who know Jesus not being willing to invite them to know Jesus. I know this great guy that you really need to know. And so seldom we even say. Because while we're hiding the us that Jesus has made us, we can never get around to exposing the Jesus who made us the us that we are. Don't look the other way. Do not neglect. Do not hide yourself. I get it. I'm going to just be plain if I may. I get it. You're kind of freakish. It's okay. I'm kind of freakish too. Well, what does it mean? We're unique. Created in, you're only equal with another human being if you have individuality. That's what's so comical. There's only so many people in the world trying to be unique, right? So I'm going to be unique. I'm going to be, I'm going to pick on it. I don't mean to, but I'm going to be goth, for example. You know how many goth there are in the United States? Last I saw, over 12 million. Now that's real unique. Why don't you just be you and stop hiding you behind the guise of being unique? The more you try to be unique, the less unique you're probably going to be. So the bottom line is, don't look the other way. Don't hide yourself. Be who you are and care about the people that you encounter and the things that belong to them. That's what the text is talking about. Share with you an illustration, illustration that goes way back. 20 years ago, I had a friend of mine, and we were playing a game together, him and uh, myself and about six other guys. I'm sitting around a table, and, and he had his arms on the table like this, and he had his, hand, his head leaning on his hands like this, and after about an hour, he was gently snoring. We were pretty sure he'd fallen asleep, because that's when people snore, usually. And we began to talk about him, not in any mean way, just mentioning some things about him and what, the way he was playing the game and like that. And uh, he never responded. And then somebody said, he's not responding because he's asleep. And they called him by name when they said that. And I'll, I'll just say, Joe, Joe's not responding because Joe's asleep. And he said, I am not asleep, just like that. And we all chuckled. And he said, well, we've been talking about you for like five, ten minutes, and you didn't say anything. And he said, I heard you. And we said, well, if you heard us, why didn't you answer? And he said, because I didn't think it was important. Just like that. And it became a longstanding joke in our, monk, in our group of friends that I didn't think it was important. Listen to me. It is important that you stop hiding yourself it is important that you care about what is going on around you. People around you are contemplating suicide. People around you are struggling with addiction. People around you are struggling with hunger. People around you are laboring away in generational poverty. People around you do not know Jesus. People around you do not have an eternity with God after this life. Even though you may think, oh, he's okay, but I'm not really okay. That could exactly be the opposite. You could think, he, he seems like he's okay, so I'm hiding myself because I'm not okay, but I am a saved Christian, right? And then you go, when you realize you're okay, if you're okay, then you have to stop hiding yourself, and you'll realize that he's not okay. Some of the greatest human beings I have ever known later got saved. Most of them, in fact. Stop hiding yourself. It is important. What's going on is important. You may feel like you don't have the resources. If you legitimately don't have the resources, God's not asking you to spend them. But he's also, he is asking you to stop paying particularly not attention. He is 
asking you to stop neglecting others. He's asking you to care. The second thing I want you to see in this text that really struck out to me then is that low-hanging fruit is almost always fruit of suffering. Okay? So it's pretty easy to be walking along the road and, oh, here's a sheep unattended. I'm just going to take that right home here. And then from now on, for the next 12 or 15 years, whatever, I'm going to get me some wool. Right? And then when it gets a little too old to do wool, I'm going to eat this bad boy and it's going to be great. Right? He needs help. Help him, Josh. <laughs> he just doesn't know how to work it very well. It's not his fault. Okay. Low-hanging fruit is fruit of suffering. They are suffering for lack of that fruit, right? So if you get something that belonged to somebody else and it now suddenly belongs to you, you didn't pay for it, you didn't work for it, they didn't get a fair wage for it, whatever, that suffering doesn't just cease to exist because you got lucky or God blessed you and you found that sheep. They still are suffering. Their sheep wandered off. That may have been their favorite sheep. They're crying over that sheep. It may have been their only sheep. They need that sheep. It may have been their prophet sheep. Right? So they still have enough sheep to barely survive, but they don't have enough sheep now to have enough wool to live well. And the bottom line is, if it's suffering, they may cry out. And I ask you, if they are crying out to God in suffering, who are they crying out against? The sheep? Oh, Lord, punish that sheep that wandered off. I feel so... I, man, break its neck wherever it is, God. No. They're not praying against the sheep. It's just a stupid sheep that wandered off, or an oxen, or a donkey, right? They're praying against that. They're praying against the person who took the sheep and didn't bring it back. Someone stole my sheep. Lord, give me justice. Now, what they really want is their sheep back, right? That's what they really want. They've lost it. They didn't mean it. When their car breaks down and they don't have the money to fix it, they're sad. They really want their car fixed. But, but make no mistake. If they're crying out to God, God, woe is me, my car is broken and I need my car fixed. I don't have the money to get my car fixed. I'm going to lose my job. My situation is terrible all of a sudden. When they're crying, they're not crying out to God to strike the car with lightning. They're not crying out to God to dissolve the car down into a pool of melted uh, melted metal, right? They are crying out to God against the person who is consuming the resources that is stopping them from being able to have what they need. Now, if they are at fault themselves, they refuse to work, or they've made certain choices that makes it impossible for them to do whatever needs to be done, whatever, then that it may be justice. But that doesn't mean their neighbor doesn't realize what's going on, or you don't realize in a friend's life or family member's life that they're suffering, whatever, and you could step in, but you're busy hiding yourself. But who are they crying out against? They're crying out against someone, not necessarily by name, but crying out against someone that might make a difference. Someone that God has put in a position to care. I have some people who have cared about me in my life, quite a few of them. An example of them is Deacon Tony Brister and his family. And they have mowed my lawn for, uh, well, since Deacon Tony became my deacon. And uh, a few years back, we had softball on Monday nights and Thursday nights, pre-COVID. And there was a lady who lived in the corner across the street from us, and it was before they built a big, other people bought it and built the house bigger and had a big old yard. And her grass had grown to be over three feet tall. And the city comes and mows at that point in time, and they send you a bill for 400 bucks. That's what happens. And I had a working riding mower, but I didn't have to use it because they were mowing my lawn for me. And so I went, this is before softball on a Monday night, I went and took my riding mower over, over, and I didn't think she was home, and I began to mow her lawn. I only had time to mow her lawn because they had mowed my lawn. I'd been mowing my own lawn, right? 
I only had time to do it. Softball was an hour and a half. I only had time to do it because they had mowed and taken care of my lawn. So I go over there and start mowing her lawn. So she comes out and she says, over top of the mower, she says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm mowing the lawn. <laughs> now, what does it look like? I'm riding a, riding a mower and I was back and forth and back and forth. It was three foot tall, right? And I had it on the highest setting. And she said, why are you mowing my lawn? She's a little American Indian woman, about 5'1 and about 105 pounds. And she probably, at three foot tall, she couldn't have mowed the lawn if she wanted to, right? She had two teenage sons and they refused to do it. So here's what I could have done. I could have said, well, why don't they mow the lawn, right? They deserve to have to pay the 400 bucks because they're not mowing the lawn. It's their fault, not my fault. So I'm over there mowing the lawn. She said, why are you doing this? And I said, well, and I pulled the lever back and I turned the mower all the way down on low. And I said, well, let me tell you about this guy who once did something for me. And I did not talk about Deacon Tony Brister who mowed my lawn. I talked about Jesus. And in so doing, she wound up accepting Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she came to New Heights one time when we were meeting at the high school. And then she moved back onto the reservation somewhere out west. And her sons went and moved wherever. And they left the house abandoned. And the new people that are living there now bought it. Um, and enlarged it. And actually, if I make that correction, I'm pretty sure that's Charlie's parents that bought that house, right? And Charlie's in the building right now working with the kids. Ah, I just made that connection just now. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> a little bit of ADD there. Okay, so the point is, because I was able to do what it was that I was supposed to do, because I was able to pay the price and suffer a little bit, do a little bit of work, because somebody paid the price and suffered for me a little bit, the dominoes fell in such a way that I was able to share with her, and she came to church just one time to profess her faith in Christ and to give some money in the offering plate, because I told her I wouldn't take any money, I refused, and she said, well, I've got to give money, so that's the only way you could do it, and she did, and then she moved back out west, and she's living, as far as we know, as a Christian now, and it was all because somebody was willing to pay the price. But was it low-hanging fruit? I mean, was it really what I did? No. It took some work. And then that brings us to the third point in the text, and that is that, and this is where my heart was confused when I began studying this text, and I, and I allowed that young lady to correct me and allowed the text to correct me, and that is that this text has nothing to do with justice. You think about it for a moment. But it is justice, right? We think it's justice that we give back to the person to whom it belongs. It's theirs. So why, what right have we to take it? It wandered off. That doesn't mean we suddenly have right to own what belonged to somebody else, right? It sounds like justice. But then you think about, it says you take that ox or that sheep into your house and you take care of it. Now, you may profit from it, but I submit to you that if you can't eat it or sell it or, or mow it for a really long time, right? If you can't do that, then you're never going to get back the money that you're investing, right? You're never going to get back enough money to pay for a sheep. You're going to feed it, and you might, might if you had it for 10, 15 years, but they don't necessarily even, aren't able to shear them for that long necessarily. Bottom line is you're not going to get back what you're investing. So this text is not about justice. It's actually about generosity. And then if, you'll, if you're following along in your Bibles, if you go with me to Matthew chapter 5, and so it's a text in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is speaking. Let me get it straight from his mouth, if you will. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter even, but I want to start reading in uh, verse 38. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. You have said, you have heard what 
that it was said. Let me get this right. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that sounds like justice, right? In reality, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was, was restraining them from taking more. It was one of the best kinds of codes because back then it was an eye. For an eye, you would take a death. Maybe their whole family killed their, them, and then you kill their whole family too because they put your eyes. You kill them and their whole family because if you just kill them, their family would kill you. Right? So the justice in that part of the world at that time was if they put your eye out, you kill them all. And all the cousins too. Anybody that might come after you later. And, and the, the word of God was saying an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. That was restraining, overrunning, reasonable justice. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And it's not justice. He slaps you. You turn your other cheek so he can slap you. That's not justice. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. That was a Roman law. A centurion could come along and he could pick any person living in that part of the world and tell them they had to carry his pack for a mile. That was actually a law. A Roman soldier could, could pick anybody that they saw walking and tell them they had to carry their pack for a mile. And so if he makes you carry your pack for a mile, carry it for him for two. Right? That's not about justice. So 41 was, and whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. 42 says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. 43 you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. So in other words, we can be the sons of our father in heaven if we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Hmm. In order that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Then he's going to illustrate. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I submit to you, that perfect means complete, and you are complete when you practice generosity. When you take out of that which God has blessed you with and ensure that others have what they need. When you take out of that which God has given you and take care of that which somebody else has lost until they can have it again. This text is not about justice. It's not that it's justice to take care of an ox or a sheep or a donkey that someone has lost or to stop and help them get out of the ditch, even though we like to think that. Man, I wish it was. You know why? Because if it's justice and then somebody doesn't help us in that case, then we can think that's injustice. We think, well, they should have helped me. I should have been helped. I should have been taken care of. And Jesus said it this way, do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Luke 6, 31, Mark 7, 12, Matthew 7, 12. So the bottom line is, we want to be treated well, but we also kind of want to hide ourselves. So what if we decide to do it this way? What if we decide to do what this text points us toward? 
that we live our lives caring about what's going on in another person's life. Well, according to what we just read in the book of Matthew, the end result of that will be, you will be a son of your Father in heaven. You'll be like Jesus. You'll be like the person that you're supposed to be in Christ, caring. But at the same time, I submit to you, you will risk, or even, it's not even just risk, you will guarantee a higher cost for your life. It may cost you a lot. You may pay vet bills, feed, mechanic bills. You may have to pay utilities for someone else. You may have to show up and sit with them when they're suffering or mourning a loss. Or you may have to mow their lawn when it's three feet high. And you're like, oh, so disrespectful that they let their lawn get three feet high. Or you may have to clean up their mess after they made their mess. And they don't deserve that. Wait, they don't deserve it? If you do it for them and they don't deserve it, then what does that make you? Some kind of whimpering slave fool that serves people who don't deserve it? Is Jesus a whimpering slave fool? Because he serves people who don't deserve it. It'll cost. Also, my business management class, I'm drawing a lot of illustrations from decades ago now. I learned that there are sort of like three phases of business. There's a, a starting out business, and then there's a star business which is rising in the field, really becoming popular, growing really fast, getting a lot of more property or more people that they serve, more customers, that kind of thing. And then there's what's called a cash cow. It's a business that's making money. It's just making money all day long, making money. Stay in status quo. Don't really have to do a lot of work. Don't have to grow. Don't have to update the technology. Just staying kind of where you're at and reaping in the bucks, right? When a business becomes a cash cow business, the number one thing they manage is, does anybody know? Any business management people in the room? When you're a cash cow business, you're just raking in the bucks all day long. The number one thing you have to manage is, say it again. I didn't hear you. Okay, good. It's called, in retail, it's called shrink, right? In property management, it's called expenses. Uh, restaurant, it's cost of goods, cost of sale, cost of labor, right? It's expenses. You have to make sure that your expenses do not grow as you are reaping in the benefits of this business that's been established. So here's what I submit to you. This is what the Lord has revealed to me. The reason that Christianity is irrelevant to the world today, and you say, well, it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be, but in reality, in many cases, it is. The reason that Christianity is irrelevant to the world today is that we, like a son of a king, have become prosperous, a cash cow, if you will, and we are busy mitigating, reducing, eliminating our risk. The bills come in. If we're doing it even remotely right, we're tithing and giving an offering above and beyond that, and then that's it. We're serving, maybe teaching in Sunday school, cleaning the building, doing the lawns, doing the little bit of outreach, right? Sending some texts or making some calls, we're inviting people to church, transporting people to church. We're serving. For years after I became a Christian at East Toledo Baptist Church, I taught the gospel on Sunday mornings. Whatever was in the Sunday school material, I taught. But when I would leave the church building, there was no out there in the community caring about everybody everywhere I went, talking to everybody about Jesus wherever I went. Because for me, being a Christian meant while I was in the church building, while I was with the church, I was this kind of person. But while I was out in the world, I had my guard up. I was essentially hiding. 
being careful. Why? Because it will cost you something if you walk around caring about what's going on in other people's lives. Eventually, it's going to cost you something. You keep caring. You're eventually going to go, I've got to do something. Like my, if my tooth were aching, I would go to the dentist. Now I see all these problems. I see all these difficulties people are going through. I've got to do something about what people are going through. I've got to do something or I just can't stand it anymore. And so if you're going to walk around not hiding yourself, caring, not picking the low-hanging fruit and profiting off other people's suffering, walk around in grace and generosity, it's eventually going to cost you something. And I submit to you, it had better cost you something. David understood, who would later be called a man after God's own heart, even though he, he did some bad things in his lifetime, and so have we. If you want to look, this is our last text for the day. A second, we'll, we'll read it in 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. In 24, 24, 24 which will mean later, when you will look, at up, look it up again, it would be easy to remember. 2 Samuel 24, 24. <clears throat> However, the king said to Arauna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. See, David wanted to make an offering. And guy's like, <laughs> All you've done for me, I owe you this and more. Take what you need. And David said, no, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I will not make an offering to God that which cost me nothing. And Jesus understood it fully. In fact, he understood that when it costs you something, it's worth something. And if it costs you nothing, it costs somebody something. It's low-hanging fruit, and there's a good chance they're crying out against you to God, and you will not benefit from it. In fact, you may suffer for it. If God delivers justice, and he often does. What happens if you try to live this way? If you stop hiding yourself, stop plucking the low-hanging fruit and benefiting by other people's suffering? If you start becoming a person of grace and generosity and caring about other people and stepping up and helping them get their ox out of the ditch, which you'll probably never see an ox in your lifetime, but you can see the metaphor, the symbolism, helping them deal with whatever the emergency thing is in their life that they need to fix right now, whatever that is. But if you step in, it will cost you something. And it had better. Because if it doesn't, if you cannot find a time in which you have stopped hiding and started caring, started behaving generously toward other people, then there is a very good likelihood that you, my friend, are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is a man who gave people him enti his entire self when what they deserved was hell for an eternity. And he did that for me. And he did it for you. And if he did it for you, how can you go around hiding yourself? How can you pluck the low-hanging fruit and benefit by other people's suffering? How can you not live in generosity? Stop thinking about, well, if I have a few more dollars, I can buy this, that, or the other thing. And start thinking along the lines of, if I have a few more dollars, I can help somebody. And when you do that, you will become like a son or a daughter of your Father in heaven. Moses got it. And he gave it to us. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time and lead us in our closing hymn. If you're here today and you realize that you've been hiding yourself,
and it's time to stop. Time to start caring about what's going on in the world, getting out there, seeing where people are hurting and making a difference. And you realize that that will cost you something. Eventually, it will cost you something. There's no doubt about that. If you care, it will cost you something. It may cost you virtually everything you have. If, if you follow Jesus and all of the disciples, it will cost you everything you have. And if you're willing, then make that decision in your heart, in your mind, or down to say, okay, God, I'm willing to be that person who cares, who doesn't hide, who shows up to make a difference. If you're in this room and you realize that Jesus did that for you, but you've never made a public profession of your faith, or you've never truly began to live for the Lord, and you want to do that today and say, okay, God, I realize this costs me everything I used to be, but I get everything I'm going to be, and I get it from you. I want to be born again. And if that's you, then as we sing this song, you respond and come forward. Let us know what's going on today, and we'll pray for you and with you. All right? As we sing this song, would you stand with us then and sing? But if the Lord is moving you to respond, then you just respond. Thanks for choosing this podcast by New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. Hope you're feeling generous today as the Lord has blessed you and he gives us our blessings that we may bless others. If you'd like to give to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church, uh, you can do so by visiting our website, which is churchtoledo.com or newheightsfellowshipchurch.org. And then you can also give in our app, which is Life, the number four, Toledo, and that's available in the iOS or Android cell phone app stores. You can also text G-I-V-E to 419-419-0095, and it'll allow you to give by credit or debit card. And then finally, you can send checks or whatever to 255 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio, 43605. Thank you so much for tuning in listening. And I pray that we will all reach new heights in Jesus.